Amen. So we'll start tonight. We'll be in uh, Jeremiah 31 and 33. While you turn there. So this, this scripture is, is descriptive of the, the covenant of God with his son Jesus to which you and I are the beneficiaries. This is the new covenant. And if we're there, it says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then we'll go over to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We'll start with verse 27. And in this passage, Jesus is addressing his, his own identity as the, as the m- m- Messiah, as the Savior. We'll start with verse 27 and read through verse 30. No, I'm sorry, read through verse 29. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Would you pray with me tonight just that Jesus would be the center? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness towards us, even though we're undeserving. And Lord, you're faithful to redeem us and to keep us and to bring us to that place where we can be with you for all of eternity. And Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. Lord, that everything would be accurate tonight, that it would be relevant, that it would be made real and alive to the hearers tonight. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen. So just to kind of set the tone of what we'll discuss tonight, I I can open with this. God has a plan, and this plan is is a covenant, and it includes you, and God will be faithful to his promises. And God has provided a way for us, and that way is Jesus. It is simply Christ. Christ is God's answer to our problems. And no matter what our circumstances that we find ourselves in, God cannot fail. Christ is sufficient, and what he provides to us will always be enough. Amen? So we'll start with God's faithfulness in this work of redemption. And we understand our redemption is from sin. And so to understand redemption, we can consider some of what this issue of sin is. So our sin is our, is our problem. Sin is our main problem. And this is what separates us from God and really is the cause of all the trouble that we find ourselves in and that we, we see in the earth. We understand and we've studied here this definition of sin to be missing the mark. We understand that sin is common to everyone. We all have this issue of sin we have to deal with. The mark is God's perfect will and perfect way. And anything that would deviate from that, our way, not His, that would be sin. So this begins in, in, the, in the garden, in the very beginning, and it's told in the story of Genesis chapter 3. And so I'd ask that if you could turn to Genesis 3. And we're not going to read the whole passage together because I think the majority of us are probably familiar with the story. 
But as we talk tonight about primarily about what sin is and how God has chosen to redeem us from sin, uh, we'll refer to several scriptures in the third chapter of Genesis. So Genesis 3 and 1 opens describing the subtleness of the serpent. And that word means cunning and crafty. And so we see that the serpent was more subtle than any living creature. That's verse number 1. And the serpent, start, the serpent starts by establishing this false credibility with Eve. And he says, Hath God really said? And you know, so often we, we find ourselves in that same situation. Satan is the father of deception, the father of lies, and he works by deception. And he'll, he'll put that thought into our head, Has God really said? And so Eve answering Satan, well, no, God hasn't said that we can't eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, only that the one tree. And so by this, Eve begins rationalizing in her own, in her own mind these thoughts and questioning what she really knows to be the word of God. And this can happen in our own hearts. Secondly, it was Eve's own desire in verse 6. She saw that the tree was good, suitable for food, delightful to look at, and to be desired in order to make one wise. So it was deception, but then it was also that coupled with her own desire that this isn't going to hurt me. This tree is good. This tree is desirable for food. This tree is a good thing. And that brought about uh, sin. She gave to Adam and he also ate. So this was simply the sin of disobedience. So Adam and Eve did what was pleasing to them rather than what they knew to be pleasing to God. And so quickly we'll cover this. We're aware of this, but God hates sin. You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew 5.48 that God is perfect. And so anything that comes from God, His will, His word is likewise perfect. And sin, because it's contrary to his will and his word, by definition, is imperfect. And perfect things cannot coexist with imperfect things. If an imperfect thing is included in the whole, then the whole is imperfect. And that's so sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And our culture is unreasonable for us to believe. And our culture puts this in our, in our head, that it's unreasonable for, for us to really believe that God is angry with sin. And we have this thought that, well, how could this loving God be, you know, have all these rules that you have to go by, and if you don't do exactly what he says all the time, then, he'll, then you're, you're lost, you're not saved, and you won't go to heaven. But this is dem, 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 demonic where it comes from. It's the same tactic that the serpent used in the garden when he said, has God really said so we, we have to guard our hearts against what the devil tries to deceive us. And he tries to con convince us that sin isn't a big deal. And that sin isn't something we should avoid at all cost. But God, absolute, timeless, always, without deviation, he is right. And we can rejoice. Now we have this knowledge of sin. We can rejoice that he has provided an answer from sin. But before we get there, let's talk about the results of sin. So sin has exceedingly disastrous results. Sin separates us from God. That's in Isaiah 59 and 2. 
death and all of its precursors are the direct result of sin. We begin to die as soon as we're born. You know, the perils we face in this life, sickness, disease, this coronavirus that just popped up out of China has killed 130 some odd people. All of this, poverty, war, natural disasters, all these are the results of, of this broken world, this sin-sick world that we are in. The Bible tells us in Romans 8.22 that all of creation is crying out for deliverance. And it's from this, this curse that has befallen all of humanity now is sin. It's because of sin. So let me clarify, we're not talking here about a personal sickness or a personal problem being the direct result of a personal sin. So our actions have consequences, but in the ninth chapter of John, Jesus corrects that idea. I just wanted to clarify that so we'd be sure we're on the same page. But another consequence of sin is that it steals all of our peace. You know, for the unbeliever, any sense of peace is false. Sadly, the unbeliever is in a state of enmity with God. Their sin has separated them from God. But they're in that point in time where, you know, the serpent told Eve, you shall not surely die. And Eve believed that for a short period of time. And that's where the unbeliever is. They've been told by, they've been deceived into thinking, you're okay. But this sense of peace that they, that they have is false. For the believer, if, if we are separated from God by sin in our heart, then we, there is not any peace there. I, I can personally tell you a good part of my teenage years, I was backslidden from God. And there was no semblance of peace anywhere in, in my life. There would be, sin is fun for a season, and, and there, would be, there would be things that come and I would enjoy, but every night when I'd go to sleep, I would, without fail, it would cross my mind. I've talked about that with my brother a lot of times, that for, the, for, the, for someone who's been saved and then goes away from God, is separated from God, that, that just despair that's in your heart, because you you're, want to be reunited with God. So throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, we see the disastrous results of sin, from the flood to the exile, Sodom and Gomorrah, the ple- all, all of it is just the result of sin. Today, we still see those results. You know, sin is what destroys relationships. It ends m- marriages. Homes are broken. Children are orphaned. You have young people who their futures are taken from them by some sort of an addiction or they get involved in some type of crime and end up going to prison. All of this are the results of sin that we live with. But you know, it's very sobering to realize all of these are only the temporary results of sin. All of this has an end. The far greater consequence is sin is what can eternally separate us from God. And this is what we should fear. And this is what we should cling to Jesus, knowing that He is our deliverer from sin, knowing that He came to set us free. You know, Stephen preaching just a few weeks ago repeated the saying that we've heard before and is so accurate about sin. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. But we know and we can rejoice that God is faithful in solving our problem of sin. He has sent 
His Son, Jesus, to take our sin upon Himself. And because of that, the righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us. This has been the plan from the very beginning. In Revelation 13 and 8, we read that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. After Pentecost, when Peter's preaching in Acts 2, he says there that from the beginning, Christ has been the plan to redeem humanity. This is the covenant God has made with his Son. And this covenant cannot and will not ever be broken. Christ is the answer and he is enough for us. Let's go back real quick. I hope you're still there at Genesis 3. So let's, we're going to read verse 15. So God's come back to the garden and he's found Adam and Eve in their sin. And in verse 15 he's talking to the serpent. And this is the, and this is the first time in the Bible, of course this is third chapter of Genesis, but we see here the promise of the Redeemer that will come. And I'm reading this from the Amplified because um, it adds some clarity to the text. And it says, I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. Now we understand this speaks of Christ and God's plan from the very beginning to put an end to sin. He will fatally crush the head of the serpent of the deceiver, and we will be forever delivered from the penalty of sin. Because of Jesus. God deals firmly and justly with the serpent and with Adam and Eve. With pronouncing the curse and then being taken from the garden. But if we look at verse 21, we get some insight on the grace of God that is to come. In verse 7 is when Adam and Eve says their awareness has increased. They realize that they're naked without a covering. And they fasten together fig leaves for themselves. But then in verse 21, God gave them a covering. This is the first time that we see this. I'm sorry, I've lost my place here on my, on my page. I have it in my mind, but I've lost my place here on the page. But I'm going to find it. Amen? So the Lord God made tunics of animal skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So you know, Adam and Eve, they had fastened together the fig leaves. And we do the same thing. We find ourselves in sin. We find ourselves guilty, unworthy before God. And we fasten, we start, we fasten together fig leaves. We try to provide ourselves a covering. There's a lot of ways we do that. We'll try to improve our own holiness. We'll, com com we'll promise to God that we're going to pray more. We're going to fast longer. We're going to be more consecrated. And all of that is fastening together of fig leaves, trying to provide ourselves a covering. But when Jesus came and he saw what they had done, it was not enough. And so he created this covering. And it was animal skins and this you know, the Bible's very clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we know that was involved in this covering that God provided. And this is just a foreshadowing of the covering that it was to come, which was where the, 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 have the benefit of that covering of Jesus. Now, Jesus himself is the evidence of God's faithfulness in this act of redemption. The wonderful salvation is available to all who would seek it. God, in Second Peter 
It says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The work of Christ on Calvary is full payment for our debt and our sin. Christ fulfilled the law, and with his perfect sacrifice on Calvary, he said it is finished. And we understand that to be an accounting term that's paid in full. The price for our redemption from sin is complete in Jesus. We don't have to add anything to that. Now let's consider the faithfulness of God in keeping us once we've come to Christ. Now, I'll clarify here at the beginning, we don't agree with this doctrine of eternal security in the context of once saved, always saved. But I don't believe it's easy for a man to lose his salvation in the context of it's taken from him against his will or he lost a battle because the battle has already been fought and won by Jesus. Now, we can take ourselves out of that covenant relationship if we stop trusting in Jesus as the only answer to our sin. We're we're taking ourselves out of that covering that God has provided. But here tonight in this, we're talking about people who are trusting in Jesus, who are submitted to His will in their life. Our salvation, we understand, is not of ourselves, but by grace through faith in Christ. We understand that and we accept that. But we have trouble understanding sometimes, or at least I do. I have trouble understanding that it's that same power that, that saves us. It's that same power that keeps us in Christ as we live this life. So we try to place that burden onto ourselves and we come up short. Let's look at Romans 5, 8 through 9. So in verse 8, we have this act of redemption. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So verse number 9, this is how we're kept. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So here it's clear how we're saved from wrath. It's very clear, and it's through Christ. It is not of our own selves. Just as our efforts were not enough for salvation, we cannot hope to be kept by our own power. We have to rely on the covering God has provided, which is Jesus. Romans 8, we're adopted into the family of God with a spirit of adoption. And this is contrasted to a spirit of bondage the Bible says we're delivered from. Now, this spirit of bondage brings us under rules to perform that we can't ever hope to live up to. We have this idea that if we try hard enough, God will accept us for our efforts. This is the very best of our own power and the very best that we have to offer God. So we're always striving to be better and better, to do more in hopes that this time it might be enough. But in reality, Christ has provided the covering, and Christ's sacrifice is enough. Now, the spirit of adoption teaches us that God is a good father and we're his beloved children. We serve him motivated by love, not by fear. We're yielded to his will for us out of faith and trust that his will is what is best for us and that he'll keep us to the end. 
We're clothed, 2 Corinthians tells us we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we can recall Adam and Eve's feeble attempt to cover themselves, but God clothes them with tunics, which is a foreshadowing of the covering we have today. Isaiah teaches us two things. <clears throat> or it teaches us these two things. That our own good deeds are but filthy rags, but in Christ we can put on a garment of salvation. So there's a lot of ways God is faithful to keep us in this life. And, and I'm not talking about some, some grace that is... is uh, that allows sin to exist in the believer's life without dealing with that sin. Don't, please don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. We're to strive to resist sin. And the Bible gives us a way to resist sin. And we'll cover that. But God's faithful in keeping us by giving us the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is to the believer a teacher, bringing conviction and instruction in righteousness. A helper to us to understand and apply the Word of God to our own lives. A comforter, and the Holy Ghost gives us power. It's by the Holy, the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration that we're saved. And likewise, it's that same power that we're kept. And we're able to resist sin. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Resist the devil and he will flee, as James 4, 7. This is by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now God is also faithful in keeping us another way is by giving us the Word of God. What a, what a gift is the Bible that we've been given. You know, it's a, we, under, we know the motto, the Bible. It's a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we hide the, its word in our heart that we might not sin against God. And God is faithful by keep, in keeping us by His grace. You know, in Romans we learn that sin is no longer our m master. We're not under the dominion, control, or consequence of sin. We're not under the law, but under grace. The law convicts us all. And we all stand with the law totally guilty before God. But by His grace, we can be redeemed. And we can be kept. We're free from sin, the penalty of sin. And the Holy Ghost comes and convicts us of sin. And Stephen preached this this Sunday about how we respond to that correction. But we have this blessing of repentance. It's such a blessing to be able to take our sin to grace. And see Jesus provide every answer for his sin. If we come and repent, God's faithful and just to forgive. So all of these things work together in keeping us in Christ until, until we get to heaven. God gives us his word. He gives us the Holy Ghost to make this word alive to us, in us, and through us. And this keeps us in the will of God. And all of this working together is the grace of God in our, in our life. And finally tonight we'll talk about the faithfulness of God in fulfilling the promise of eternal life to all who are in Christ. You know, the trials of this life are just that. They're of this life. There will be an end to this life. And our faith will become sight. You know, there's so few things we can really, really be sure of. 
People will fail you. People will let you down all the time. But there's so few things we can be sure of. But, you know, this is our, our blessed hope. And this we can be sure of. In 1 Corinthians, it says that we shall be changed. We're going to be like him. Those sins that do so easily beset us today, the struggles that we have, the problems that we have, the sadness, the things we deal with in this life will be gone. We'll be changed. We'll be forever be like Jesus. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 16 through 18. But I'll jump ahead and tell you, verse 18 says to comfort each other with this passage of Scripture. And so as we read this, this is intended to be a comfort to us. That all of this is going to end in Christ. God will be faithful in honoring the work of Christ on the cross and bringing us to himself. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to, to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. This is our comfort. And this is what the believer has to look forward to. There will be an end to these trials. There will be an end to this strife. There will be an end to the challenges that we face here. And God will be faithful to bring about that end if we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So as I was afraid it would, this went by pretty quick. But I have a little bit, we not quite done yet. Hang with me. So in conclusion, you know, these are very comforting thoughts, very comforting ideas. We have this problem of sin, but God has been faithful. And he's been faithful to us in every area of our life. And he provides what we need. And he will keep us. When I was away, when I was backslidden for a long time, you know, I I had been brought up in a, 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 a Christian home. My parents taught me the word of God. And they prayed for me. And I... I knew good and well that God was ready to take me back. I, 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 I had zero doubt about that. But I was convinced there was no way that I could be successful at being a Christian that, that was anything other than a complete hypocrite. I was convinced there was no way I could ever do it. But this truth of the gospel says that it is not our own, it's not by our own power that we're kept. When we yield ourselves to Christ, he, His Spirit within us is able to keep us unto Him. So, in conclusion tonight, let's cons- we're going we're gonna to look at two more pieces of Scripture. But let's consider the faithfulness of Jesus. He was, of course, despised and rejected by His own. In His final m- moments in Gethsemane, this is a time of agony for Christ. He was, this is when he sweat drops of blood. So he, he goes on farther than his disciples and Peter, James, and John go on with him a little farther toward the garden. And he says to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. These are the words of Christ. And he asked them to watch and pray. 
and they fall asleep. And, and I would have fallen asleep too. And they all profess their love for him. And when Peter says, I would even die with you, the Bible says they all said that. But we see there in, in Scripture the only one recorded to be at the cross with Jesus is John. But, you know, when Jesus came out of the garden, committed himself to do the will of God and to proceed with what he had came to do, he was totally convinced of the faithfulness of God. He did not go to Calvary hoping that it would work. Jesus was convinced of God's faithfulness. And you and I can be just as sure tonight. God will honor the sacrifice of his son. And he will keep us unto himself. We find ourselves in a lot of desperate situations. Some we bring on ourselves, some we don't. But whatever, we can take comfort understanding that Jesus has been faithful to the will and the plan of God for our redemption. And God will likewise be faithful to us. We don't have to sow fig leaves together. We don't have to strive for more holy works because we can be covered in the garment of salvation as a free gift to us from Christ. This is an active, ongoing covering. So we're going to read two, two additional pieces of Scripture. This first one is in the uh, third chapter of Lamentations. This is a book that is, is, a, is, is funeral poems agonizing over the destruction of Jerusalem. So God's people for generations have lived in sin and idolatry here, and Jerusalem is conquered by the Babylonians. So it seems to them that all is gone. This judgment, though, is, is from God. This is God's judgment on sin and disobedience. And, and you have the first 20 verses of chapter 3 that describe this very, very dark, very lonely, very dreadful situation. But then we'll read together verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Have I hope? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. And that's hope very well placed. We'll conclude here with one final piece of scripture. Hebrews 7.25. This is from the Amplified. Therefore he is able also to save to the uttermost. Completely. Perfectly. Finally. And for all time and eternity, those who come to God through him, since he is always living to make petition to God and intercede with him and intercede with him and intervene for them. And that's, and that's us. So, you know, if, if um, such a comfort to understand the faithfulness of God, to understand the value of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He's the eternal answer for our sin. And if, if you know, this very night Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, ready to intervene with God on our behalf for sin, for any problem that we need help with. 
And if, if this concept of struggling and striving to stay in the power of God, is if this was very difficult for me. This was very hard for me. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to make this real in your heart. But the Holy Spirit is here tonight to do that. So we'll close right there. I thank you very much for your time, your attention. I love you all very much. I hope this was a blessing to you.